This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew 4, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, And he said, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve God only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. So I have never had a lentier start to Lent than I did this year. <clears throat> First of all, the nearly two-week trial that I was on for jury duty wrapped up on Wednesday, and it was a murder trial, which I've never experienced before. That was a profound experience, and we had around 30 witnesses who testified. I had 70 pages of handwritten notes. And we had to deliberate on whether to convict of first-degree premeditated murder, second-degree murder, or not guilty for self-defense. And doing that on Ash Wednesday, that was our day to deliberate after two heavy weeks of all of that, a day in which we remember our mortality. It was just profound and weighty, you might say. So I won't go into any more details on that, but I'm happy to chat later if if that's of interest. And then had to drive home as we began a crazy ice storm. (laughs) And many of us had to uh, make our way through that, and our power went out. Uh, Maybe yours did as well. And it turns out that having your power out is a great way to start Lent. Because, you know, a lot of your usual comforts are taken away. You don't have power, so that means no internet, no TV, no heat, (laughs) no ability to charge your devices, no running water, which means no ability to flush the toilet, which after a while is not that fun. (laughs) Can't take a shower. Did I mention no heat? And then we were displaced. We decided to spend uh, the daytime uh, next door where there was a generator and a wood stove. 
It's almost like some people prepare for these scenarios. <laughs> we should think about that. So we did that during the day, but then the kids wanted to sleep in their own beds at night, which I understand, and be with the cats. Um, so we ended up sleeping at home both nights that we had power out. The first night, the temperature in the house was around 51 degrees, which is colder than it sounds. <laughs> it was chilly. But once you're under your blanket and you're kind of, you know, nestled in, you've got this little cocoon of, of heat and you manage to stay warm. So we did. The second night uh, was Friday, which was also, I think, the coldest day of the week, conveniently. And we said to the kids, are you sure you want to sleep at home? It's going to be freezing. And they said, but the kitties. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, the house is now colder still, 47 degrees, and not going up. And now they say that water freezes at 32 degrees, but I'm here to tell you that 47 degrees is freezing. It was so cold, and I woke up several times during the night to check on the kids, because I had this fear, like, what if they freeze in their sleep? I mean, I guess it wasn't technically cold enough for that, but we've never put ourselves in those conditions, and it was so cold, so I found myself getting up, checking on them, are they still breathing? Good. Put a, another blanket or a coat on them, make sure their toes are covered and their heads, and, oh, it's crazy. So I'm laying there awake at like 4 a.m., thinking about what a terrible parent I am, and then finally, beep, the lights go on, the TV turns on, oh, the power is back. And you'd imagine that the heat would be instantaneous. <laughs> but we have a boiler and hot water heat, not a forced air furnace. And so it takes a while for the boiler to heat up and the water to start circulating. And so I checked 30 minutes after the power came on, because I was still awake. And it was literally one degree warmer. It was now 48, like a whole half hour of having power was still only one degree warmer, because that house was cold in its bones. But by the time we woke up, it was nice and toasty again. So we made it. But what a beginning to the season of Lent. And it's fitting that every Lent, we are invited to begin with Jesus in the wilderness. Being in the wilderness can strip away what isn't essential. It can remind us of what matters. The wilderness is often a time of testing. But it's important to remember that this time, the wilderness for Jesus was not punishment. Like the verse prior, the literal verse prior, is Jesus being baptized, and God says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the verse after that says, Now the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And so it is a sacred journey for the purposes of purification and preparation. And so we often think of the wilderness as being harsh and punishing, which it certainly is and can be, but it can also be a place where we find clarity, discover inner strength, and experience profound and deep spiritual connection. Because in the wilderness, life is stripped down to its barest essence. And in so many ways, Lent runs counter to our consumerist culture. Maybe you saw the meme uh, that was passed around this week. Apparently, Mark Wahlberg was on Good Morning America talking about the importance of Lent to his own life and faith practice. And 
during those shows, they often have sort of a, on the bottom third a little title graphic that tells you what the interview is about. So here's Mark Wahlberg talking about Lent, and the title says, Mark Wahlberg's 40-Day Challenge. <laughs> Isn't that great? And people were passing around a, scheme, a screenshot of that and laughing and saying, why have I been calling it Lent this whole time? It's Mark Wahlberg's 40-Day Challenge. <laughs> I got a laugh out of that. But maybe it's because Lent is so countercultural that the network couldn't even bring themselves to put Lent on the screen. I mean, Mark Wahlberg's 40 day challenge is better for ratings, for sure. For sure. And of course, the mantra of our consumerist culture is that more is better, right? More ratings, more viewers, more sales, more gross national product, more success. We were at the bookstore the other night um, when the power was out, and I saw a book titled Blitz Scaling, The Lightning Fast Path to Building Massively Valuable Companies. It's kind of how you could go from one employee to a hundred in like two weeks, and then from there, you know, sky's the limit. And you might say that one of the temptations that Jesus faced there in the desert was to blitz scale his ministry. Right? He's brought before all the kingdoms of the world. He said, all this can be yours. Go from 12 disciples to 10,000 in less than 30 days for your money back. <laughs> but Lent cuts through that and reminds us that sometimes less is more. The venerable theologian Walter Brueggemann puts it this way, I imagine Lent as a great departure from the greedy, anxious, anti-neighborliness of our economy. A great departure from our exclusionary politics that fears the other. A great departure from the self-indulgent consumerism that devours creation. Now we experienced this invitation to simplicity in a small way when our power was out. When we didn't have electricity to power our devices, we found ourselves reading more, playing games like candlelight, having more conversations, laughing together more. We found ourselves grateful to have family nearby with whom we could seek refuge. And we became grateful for so many of you who reached out and offered a place to sleep, a place to shower, a place to warm up, and also became incredibly mindful of people who don't have all of those good options. And when the power came back on, how much more grateful were we for things that we normally don't even think about. It was so joyful just to have a house to be warm in. Most days I never get that a second thought. A hot cup of coffee, a warm bath, being able to plug something in and have it work. I was ready to say, have you guys heard about this amazing thing called electricity? <laughs> I mean, wow. But of course, Lent calls us to go much deeper than simply dropping a few of our modern conveniences. Lent is an invitation to walk in the way of Jesus. And what is that way? It's the way of the cross, a way that is often called the cruciform way or the cross-form way because it's the laying down of one's life for the sake of others. The philosopher Ken Wilbur, Ken Wilbur makes a distinction between ascending religions and descending religions. And our first 
Hearing that, we might think, well, man, I want to be a part of an ascending religion, right? That's a religion that's on the rise. It's going places. Who wants to be a part of a descending religion? That sounds like failure. That sounds kind of lame. Well, Richard Rohr says, Ken Wilbur and I both trust descending religion much more. And I think Jesus did too. Well, why is that? A descending religion tends to be about unlearning, letting go, surrendering, serving others, or even, as Jesus said, losing your life. But that kind of talk, of course, isn't very popular in our culture, which prefers ascending religions, which focus on the language of self-development, success, bigger is better. And it's not that we should be anti-success, right? This isn't perhaps a, a binary either or good or bad, but we shouldn't be too quick to ascribe ascending religion to Jesus. Aurora says if we're not careful, we'll again make of Jesus descending religion another climbing religion, as we've done so often in the past. And how have we done that? We don't have to look much further than the so-called prosperity gospel, which says Jesus is about your best life now, or creates theologies of name it and claim it, because God really wants you to have that. It also produced the idea that churches should look like a 2,000-seat auditorium complete with smoke and laser light shows. And some have said that the prosperity gospel in many ways is a quintessentially American theology. I think that might be right, uh, because it goes hand in hand with our free market capitalist ethos, our ascend at all cost attitude. A 2006 Time Magazine poll found that 31% of American Christians espouse the idea that if you give your money to God, God will bless you with more money. We've thought about trying that out here, but I don't, don't think you guys would go for that. A full six, that was th a third of American Christians agreed with that. 61% agreed with the more general idea that God wants you to be prosperous. That's a trickier one, maybe. In 1936, New Thought preacher Charles Fillmore rewrote Psalm 23, listen to this, to read... The Lord is my banker. My credit is good. <laughs> Just think of that psalm in your mind and what that psalm brings up for you. It's not that. <laughs> and in 1925, advertising executive Bruce Bowler wrote the book, The Man Nobody Knows, to argue that Jesus was the first capitalist. He humbly wrote, Someday, someone will write a book about Jesus. Every businessman will read it and send it to his partners and salesmen, for it will tell the story of the founder of modern business. This was his book about Jesus. Well, the season and practice of Lent is our annual reminder that such religion is heresy and has nothing to do with Jesus. I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit are literally Jesus' first words. On the Sermon on the Mount. 
Richard Rohr says, although Jesus made his approach quite clear throughout his life, we still largely turned Christianity into a religion where the operative agenda was some personal moral perfection or attaining some kind of personal salvation, going to heaven or converting others rather than ourselves and acquiring more health, more wealth, and more success in the world. He says, in that pursuit, we ended up largely aligning with empires, wars, and the colonization of our planet instead of aligning with Jesus and the powerless. He says, all climbing and little descending, and it has all caught up with us in the 21st century. The Hasidic masters tell uh, the story of the rabbi who would disappear every Shabbat Eve to commune with God in the forest, or so they thought. So one Sabbath night, they recruited one of their cantors to follow the rabbi and observe this holy encounter. Well, deeper and deeper into the woods, the rabbi went until he came to the small cottage of an old Gentile woman who was sick to death and crippled into a very painful posture. And once there, the rabbi cooked for this woman, carried her firewood, and swept her floor. And then when the chores were finished, he immediately returned to his little house beside the synagogue. Well, back in the village, the people demanded of the one that they'd sent to follow him, did our rabbi go up to heaven as we thought? Oh, no. The cantor answered after a thoughtful pause. Our rabbi went much, much higher than that. Because you see, the true way to ascend spiritually is to take the path of descent. The path of selflessness, of service, of giving oneself away maybe even in ways that nobody else knows about. And that's certainly the path less traveled. And so I don't know what your journey into the wilderness might look like as we enter into this season of Lent. I hope it isn't the forced austerity of a power outage, but you never know. But the invitation, I think, is to let ourselves wander a little bit, shed some of our usual attachments, and seek for ourselves the path downward, which ultimately leads to letting go. Letting go of what we think we need. <clears throat> letting go of what we think defines us. Letting go of our need to perform. Letting go of our need to succeed, and perhaps more importantly, of having others perceive us as succeeding. And ultimately, being willing to let go of everything. And in the letting go, we may just find ourselves with Jesus and in the company of angels. Amen. Maybe so.
You are invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.